today with Willie Berry. For more sermons from my dad, Pastor Willie Berry, here at Encounter Church in Royal Oak, Michigan, be sure to visit our website at www.encounter360.org. This podcast is designed to encourage spiritual growth in believers from all walks of life and will surely be a blessing to you or anyone else listening. If you are in the Metro Detroit area, we'd love for you to come visit. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Thanks for tuning in. Now, finally, Father, I pray for those who are already with us watching online and those who will hear uh, my voice by podcast or by whatever medium they use or if they're looking at one of the websites or one of the Facebook or YouTube, wherever they are, God. We ask, God, that you cover them in whatever need they have that's according to your will, that it be granted in the name of Jesus. Um, We're super excited for what you're about to do in this place, and we give you praise for it, and we give you thanks for it. In that mighty and that matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap. Praise God that we're ready to get here. We've made it all the way through the book of Genesis. And as Brother Dave uh, said so eloquently, um, before I um, uh, got here uh, last Wednesday, I was on the road and I was listening um, to every, uh, Brother Dave teach and listening to you guys online. And that is the beauty of having an online church that when you're not here, you can what? You can be here um, only when you're when you can't absolutely be here. If you can be here, you need to be in the building. But when you're not, you can watch. And I listened to some of those things, and I thought uh, that is the truth of what he said. Isn't it amazing how we think we know something until we start to really search it and we really start to read it? How many of you thought you really knew Genesis before we started into the book of Genesis? Uh, and when you get into Genesis and get into deeper study, you realize that. Probably the last time you looked at Genesis was in a child Sunday school class or at some veggie tales and a lot of the stuff you thought that you knew, you really didn't know because you didn't look at it in detail or it was told to you in a way that you could understand as a young person. But necessarily there are some concepts in there, what we call grown folks talk, uh, things in there that you necessarily might not have been able to study in depth. And we've saw all sorts of family dynamics. We've saw God move in all sorts of different ways. And not only have we 
pulled from this, the promised seed and seeing how God has put a plan, a redemptive plan together to bring his children back to himself. But he's worked through very imperfect people. It is very encouraging. We have seen betrayal. We've seen lies. We've seen genocide, mass murder. We've seen rape. We've seen drunkenness. We've seen incest. And God has worked through all of that mess to bring his plan and purpose uh, to fruition. Why? Because man's heart, we left God. And, and this is God's way to bring us back to him. I've often said, if God had a perfect person, I've asked God that question. Why couldn't you find a better person than me to use? Why couldn't you find a perfect person? And the answer generally comes back when you study the word. There are none. There's not, there's not one righteous, no, not what? One. I, I often, that's one of my favorite scriptures because when they write that, it makes me laugh because he writes the scripture and he says, there's not one righteous. And it's almost like he's writing this and he's thinking for that smart aleck going to say, accept me. And then he says, no, not one, not even you, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need the grace of Jesus Christ. So today, as we ready to close, uh, I'm often amazed by what God brings out in the passages and in the scripture from what I see, because sometimes you'll read something and on its face without the power of the Holy Spirit, it may seem a bit routine and a bit mundane, but you see a lot of things. And we see that Joseph is about to bring his family into chapter 47, uh, down into the land of Goshen, a place that has been prepared for them close enough to Egypt to get the provision of Egypt, but far enough away from Egypt so that they can develop and they can grow uh, and they will be able to be able to use the resources of Egypt to become who God wants them to be. So let's start reading Genesis chapter 47 and we're going to read probably uh, starting at verse 1 uh, all the way down to about verse 12. Let's read that. Let's go. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen and from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Looks like they're having some technical issues back there, but they'll catch up. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any uh, able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood, before, stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. That's, that's an understatement. And they have attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brother and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, and as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph 
provided his father, his brothers, and all his household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now, this would be something akin to today. How do I take this and create what you call a hermeneutical bridge? What is that? That means how do I take this passage, bring it and keep its original intent, and make it relevant to what it, there is today? Well, they're in the midst of a famine. They're in the midst of an economic downturn. Uh, can anybody identify with things of an economic downturn right now? <laughs> they're in the midst of a food shortage, which means that food is extremely expensive and hard to get. <laughs> Nobody knows what that feels like, do you? <laughs> uh, they're in a place where food is hard to get. The economy is on a downturn. Guys, can you grab one of those and get one to Jayla's? Uh, i get an extra one there to her. Uh, and so number one says, but in the midst of that, God is working his plan. A lot of times we can become self-centered and narcissistic in the way we read the Bible. And we try to make everything about us. But the truth of it is God has an overarching sovereign plan and that we are living while other things are going on, that God is working his plan, and we are just players while he's playing it out behind the scenes. Let us not forget to stay true to the text that we are seeing the story of God redeeming men to himself. What's that scripture I always pull out in Genesis? We're talking about the promise what? Seed. We're talking about the promised seed, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That's important for us to know. Why is that important for us to know? Because the whole crux of this matter is that God is using this to bring mankind to himself. And so... Question number one says, it's always comforting when God's will leads us to provision and blessing. Why is that important to know? Because if we're going to preach an accurate gospel, sometimes in God's will, things will happen. And they're not always roses and peaches and ice cream. We have to be realistic that sometimes suffering comes in the will of God. But isn't it wonderful that when the will of God does come, sometimes it does come and we end up getting a blessing from it. God wants to get his promised seed which is now sitting in Judah down through the generations to get to David and then 42 more generations to Jesus. And he is using Joseph to bless those people. So it says the influence that Joseph had opened the door for the preservation of his family, which what are some types of ways we can bless our families tomorrow by how we live today. Can you guys, if you could in the back, pull up Proverbs chapter 13 verses 22. Proverbs 13 22. I'm imagining they can pull that up pretty fast. It's in the in the text and I want you to see this because this is important for us to think generationally. One of the problems we have in Christendom many times is because we're only thinking for ourselves. What does this read? It's on the screen and you can read it with us. What does it say? A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's is laid up for the righteous. In other words, that a lot of times we're secular humanistic, which means that we elevate man. And when we read the gospel, we read it from a lens of how can it benefit us. But we are sitting in a church that none of us laid a brick in. Well, some of us may have laid a brick in. Some people have been here since this church was put here. But for the most part, most of us are living on the benefits of what somebody else, what? 
made, what somebody else did. And if we're going to be successful as Christians, we have to think generationally. We can't always want all the blessings ourselves, but we should be happy in the part that God is allowing us to play. And so God is using Joseph and the skills he has to be able to bless his family, that Joseph's blessings are much more than just Joseph himself. That's a lot of times why we have a problem with generosity and we only come to church to get and we don't come to give. But when we come to a church, it's never really about what we can get. It's about how we can what? Serve. How we can give. Jesus gives us this example. He says, for the son of man came not to what? Be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So the culture of Christendom should be a culture of generosity uh, and reciprocity that we give. Give generously of the blessings that God has given us, but not just monetarily. You see what A says, that we should be able to give and have an inheritance. What? What's the number one say? Spiritually. Timothy talks about, the book of Timothy talks about how the older uh, ladies should be, be what? Teaching the younger and how the older men should be teaching the younger that we should be passing along a spiritual inheritance and a culture of what? What's the D word? discipleship that's the part where we say reach the lost and then what teach the found that discipleship happens in community that all of us have something that we can learn from one another not only should we be able to leave a blessing for our family spiritually because it does you no good for them to gain a trust fund and then still not gain heaven for we're here to reach the lost, teach the found, and change the world one life at a time. That's important for us to do, that we know how to do that spiritually, economically. Also, why is that important? Because we shouldn't be living life just for ourselves. You shouldn't be just living life to be consumeristic and get what you can. And once you've gotten what you can, forget the rest. I'm going to live and I'm going to blow all my wealth and my children have to start back from square one. That's not a biblical concept or nor is it a biblical precept that our children should be able to build on what we've been able to help deal with. Why? Because if not, then they are constantly behind the eight ball trying to grow and starting back from square one. I hear people say all the time, I had to pay student loan so I'm not saving anything in the 529 for my kids they just got to struggle like I had that's a poverty mindset that's a silly mindset and that's an unbiblical mindset I have to struggle for everything I get so they need to struggle it'll teach them better you can teach them without them having to go through the same struggles that you went through and give them a better way there's a different mindset that we, we should have also physically why because if everybody, when you go to the doctor, they ask for what type of history. They say, is there a history of these things in your family? And some of those things are genetic, but some of those things are culinary. Oh, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Do you have a history of high blood pressure and diabetes and all these things in your family? Do you not know that a lot of the diseases that come in our family, they're not genetic. Some of them are, but they're culinary. They're designed from what we eat and what we drink and how we exercise and we raise our children to eat a certain way. We raise our family to eat a certain way and they become biologically impoverished that they are dealing with things. They don't have a health and a wellness. They may make money, but they don't live long enough to enjoy it simply because we have not changed our behavior. Well, how does this fit in Genesis? Because what do we keep seeing in the book of Genesis? We keep seeing family patterns pass on. Abraham lied about his wife. So guess what Isaac does? 
we see generational habits that are forming and we need to know that at some point in time we need to stop those unhealthy cycles in our life that create things everything has a spiritual root but some things can be handled simply you don't have to pray about about cholesterol just don't cook the chicken with the fat back don't cook the greens or whatever you're cooking with the fat back use some smoked turkey I, I, I prefer the fact that I'm just being honest and transparent. This water is not my first choice, but being around for my daughters is. So I suffer it. Every now and then I'll sneak. This week we went and saw my brother and we surprised him on his doorstep at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and, and, he, and he saw all of us. And we ate good. I'm not going to lie. We, I, fell, I didn't fall off the wagon. I fell under the wagon. As a matter of fact, the wagon ran over me. But here I am back again with this. And my wife is on me. She came to my car. I thought she was coming to see how what kind of day I had. She was coming to see if I was trying to hide any evidence in my car. When I said to the dad, I said, I was and I appreciate that we have to stop cycles something psychologically that we were abused as children and we didn't recognize that as abuse and we have those same old abusive patterns as we raise our kids we think that yelling will affect us and help our children and we don't find more constructive ways to be good parents so those are the things that we need to need to look at and we see these things that their family is being blessed strictly because of how Joseph is blessed so I'm going to ask yourself are you living a life that's wealthy, wealthy enough that you want to pass to your children? Is where you are spiritually where you want your children to be? Is your prayer life the prayer life that you want to hand down to your kids? What do you mean, Pastor? Is your prayer life one that they see that you just come to church and you pray when the prayer is going because you, you look mighty weird in here while everybody's head is bowed and there's nothing but prayer music going and scriptures on the screen not to keep your head bowed. Even if you run out of stuff to pray, the, the pressure just makes you say, well, just let me keep my head down so nobody knows that I ran out of stuff to pray for. But are you teaching them that this is the only time you do that? Do they see you pray at home? Do they see you crack your Bible at home? <laughs> do they see you do your devotionals at home? Or is, are you training them without training them that the only time you lay hands, pray, and have good church is when we all come into this building? Or are we training them that church is just an overflow of what happens at the what? House. What are you teaching your children? Health-wise. Have you made positive changes so that what you're struggling with, your children don't have to struggle with? Now, we're going to go on um, because that clock is disrespectful, and, uh, but that's okay. That clock is keeping us in line so we won't digress. Verse 13, we're going to read down probably about verse 13 and go probably all the way down to about... 16 or so. Well, let, let's just keep reading probably about 20. So let's start at 13 and go to 20. What does it say? Now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for grain they bought. And Joseph brought the money in Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Their economies collapsed. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. 
So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when they, that year was ended, they came to him, and following him, said unto him, We will not hide from uh, my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of my livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we will, with our land, will be servants to Pharaoh and, get, and give us the seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Now, I want to talk real quickly because we kind of perused over it uh, about what Jacob says to to Pharaoh. And it's important that we know that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Why is that? Because number one, in Egypt, they don't respect shepherds. Number two, Pharaoh is their God. Pharaoh is the sun and the moon, they would say. Pharaoh is Amun-Ra. Pharaoh is Ra. Pharaoh is the sun and he's the moon. Pharaoh is God. But there's so much respect in this culture from what God has done through Joseph to bless Egypt that he accepts a blessing from a herdsman whom they will not even eat with. Remember a few weeks ago when, when Joseph came, they were sitting in different places because they are socioeconomically and racially divided. But he respects the blessing on Joseph enough to bless him. So question number two says, Jacob uses the word sojourning uh, or pilgrimage. When he says, how old are you? He says, I sojourned, I traveled through this land 130 years. And it's interesting to note that he sees his life as a journey and not a destination. And I ask this question. I want you to ask yourself this question. How different would your choices be if you remembered that life here is temporary? How different would you handle your life? How different would you handle your money? How many people spend all their years, and I'm not against possessions, just don't let the possession have you, but oftentimes, how many times have people worked their whole entire life, they worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week to put in a house, a mortgage, if you break down that word, mort, death, mortician, gauge, grip, death grip, you, you spend, that's, that's exactly what it is, you spend all your life trying to pay a mortgage, and you spend the, the larger part of your life, 30 years, some people, trying to pay for the mortgage to pay for this big building that's fancy and nice that you never get to live in and by the time you finish paying it off you have just a few short years and then you die nothing wrong with the house nothing, nothing wrong with getting getting things in life but how many years do people spend their lives trying to put value in things that they cannot own just to realize I spent all these years to buy this house good get a house pay it off uh, live on less than you make I'm a financial advisor do those things but how much time do they put in those things just to realize I wasted a lot of my life on that stuff you never really own it because you have to pay taxes. And if you don't pay taxes, they come back and get that. But we spend at least 40 hours a week building on those things. And how much time do we spend on our spiritual growth? How much time do we spend investing in our children? We send our kids to schools and tell them, go to school, get an education, get into school. My kids make straight A's. I'm grateful for that. They're very smart. But we teach them all this stuff, and we teach them how to gain the world, but never how to secure their soul. 
But what if we kept in the retros in perspective that you're going to live on this earth probably about somewhere. Now we have people that are living in octogenarians and people that is common to live into your 90s or even to be in, into the hundreds. That's not uncommon anymore. And, and so people are healthy and they live and they're doing well. So they'll live well into the hundreds sometimes. But here's the thing. How much of our life, our valuable life, do we spend wasting our life on stuff that does not make a difference? How differently would you live your life if you realize I only got five years left? Hmm. How different would your priorities be? I'll put it this way. I heard this from somebody. I don't know where I got this from. But the average lifespan of a person is now 85 years. So if you are 65 years old, you only have 20 summers left. Wow. Huh? You're wealthy. Think about that. Huh? She's out. Sister Benita's strong. Sister Benita probably got another 20 or 30. It's almost up. She's, she gets around here better than anybody else. But if you're 50 and you only had 85 years, you'd only have 30 summers left. That's a different way to look at life, isn't it? If you only had the three score and ten that was promised, Victor, how old are you? That only be what? Thirteen more summers? Roughly. I'm out too. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that change how we live our life? That our life, the Bible says, is like a what? It's like a vapor. How are we living our life? What impact are we going to do? What impact are we making for the kingdom of God right now? Because tomorrow is not promised to you. Because you can be 20 and God appointed your days to be 20 in three days. And you only have three days left. You're not guaranteed to be blessed like Sister Bernice. And if you make it to where Sister Bernice is or Sister Stella, there's no guarantee that you're going to get around as good as they do. They get around better than some of us. But at the end of the day, you know how you eat. The choices you make. That's what I'm getting to. What choices are you making to put yourself in a position not only to bless yourself, but to bless the generations that come behind you? What spiritual inheritance are you leaving for the kids that are coming behind you? Because of what Joseph went through, his entire family is blessed. Because of what you went through, are you going to blow it all? Or will your children be blessed for the struggle you had? Or did you just struggle in vain? Because of what you went through and where you are in God, will that die with you? Or will you produce that in your children? Hmm. How would you make your choices different if you knew that life was temporary? Question number three. The preparation, and I'm going to give the uh, team back there, whoever's was back there, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Get that pulled up because we're going to that next. The preparation, question three, of Joseph provided for an entire nation and even his family. He saved resources for a rainy day. What does Proverbs 6 and 6 through 8 say? Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. What does it say? Let's read it together. We all need to read this because of the stati financial statistics in America. Everybody needs to read this. What does it say? Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Keep going. 
without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So look at your neighbor and say, he's from the metal now. Huh. How many of us in here are broke as a joke? How many of us, if you didn't get a paycheck next week, you'd be on the street? That's careful planning. Why am I broke? Most times, not for a lack of resources, that's it, but for a lack of planning. Do you know the Bible talks about money more than love? Did you know that? There are more scriptures in the Bible about how you handle your money than how you handle the rest of your life. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. And however you manage your finances is generally how you manage in your life. If your finances are a mess, chances are your life is a mess. If your finances are sporadic, chances are you are sporadic. Chances are, if not all the time, there are some outliers. I'm not trying to generalize. But ask yourself a question. If you looked at your prayer life and you looked at your financial life, would they look similar? Now, sometimes people got a wonderful prayer life. They just don't have any money. Some people are just poor and in poor, poor countries. But in the most, most wealthiest state in the uh, place in the world, have you considered that? Some of us can't do what God called us to do because there's another scripture in the Bible. You know what it says? The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You can't serve God because you got too many bills. You want to be generous. You know the church doesn't run off lights. You know that cameras and all this expensive equipment is, is not cheap. You know feeding people. When we do the wintertime feeding, that's not, that's not, that's not it, cheap. You got to buy food. You got to get blankets. Sometimes those are donated. But you got to buy stuff to give them and put things in things. The children's place down there needs stuff. That doesn't happen. A lot of people aren't generous because they aren't good stewards of what God has given them. They live off of 115% of what they make. That's why they get angry when you bring up words like tithe and 10%. And we tithe everywhere. You know why I know? If I look at your bank statement, I guarantee you, you probably tithe into to Coney Island. You tithe into Walmart. You tithe in everywhere else. You're giving a certain percentage of your money every month to something. And where your treasury is, that your heart will be. Do you know chances are that your cell phone bill is more than your light bill? Yeah. Does that show good priority? No. What does that say about our priorities? When I when our cable package is bigger than what it takes for light, gas, and water, what does that say about our priorities? Why? But the day said, I'm way too cheap for that. It got quiet. If, if, if you say something, nobody knows it's you. You better, be, you better talk up. It's a problem, isn't it? And we see these people in Egypt in an economic downturn. And because Joseph has heard from God and they have done the proper planning, this economic downturn, God didn't stop the economic downturn, but he allowed how they stewarded resources to keep them in the midst of it. 
People always want a miracle and want the pastor to tell them to name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. I got a prophecy for you. Get a job and in two weeks, you're going to come into some money. You can even add, thus saith the Lord to that. Live on less than what you make and you will not be broke. Learn to invest rather than consume and you will be in a good financial position. You know why? Because the kingdom needs finance to run. And do you know, know in most churches around the world, we have a pretty generous church. Most, most churches don't make a lot of money. Those images you have of pastors and jets and things like that, I'm not knocking that jet. If that's what they want, that's fine. But do you not know that's not the majority of pastors? 2% of the churches in America are mega churches. The average church is 45 to 60 members, and many of them struggle. You know why? Because they do the same thing that was the problem when they came back for the temple. Why was God mad with the Israelites? He said, I brought you out of bondage. I brought you back here and you came here and you got excited about rebuilding the temple. And now I look and your houses are nice. You riding in nice donkeys and nice cars. But the house of God is still in disrepair. Everybody said priority. Priority matters. How is this relevant? Because they're in an economic downturn. And the preparation that they have made has given them a way to do this. And because they are not prepared for these things, they are at the mercy of the government. Oh, Jesus. That's, they're not prepared. So they're at the mercy of the government. They have to come to the government and beg for food. We, have, we need money because we didn't prepare we didn't prepare and store up. Now they run out of money and they're out of money. And so they're out of money. They have to sell their livestock. Their livestock is the food they use and how they build their wealth and, and build their field. And now they come back and not only have to, now they got to sell themselves. The government owns them. The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is the servant to the lender. Now they got to come back to Joseph and say, We'll work for you. We'll sell everything we own. We won't even own anything. We'll give away ownership. And ownership is the key to wealth. We'll give that away if you'll just give us some money because we weren't prepared. I'll pay 30% interest if you'll just let me get this money today or sign up with my car title because I'm not prepared. I'll do what you want me to do. If you just give me this check and I depend on the government. No, no knock to people who depend on government. I think everybody in here probably had government assistance in their days. But here's the deal. How many people are stuck in that rut because they are not prepared? Just because you start there doesn't mean you need to end there. Somebody said, I didn't know how this was in Genesis. Do you see it in the text? Can you see all this stuff sitting right? This is what's really going on when we study this text. God's design was never for you to live paycheck to paycheck. I don't believe God intended for everybody to be rich, but he did intend for you to be a good steward. It could mean that you have more house or more car than you can afford, that you're looking at somebody else and trying to keep up with the Joneses, not realizing that the Joneses is one paycheck away from losing everything too. 
And so we learned this lesson. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit knows how to bring stuff around? We started this 47 weeks ago, and here we are hearing talks of hyperinflation, hearing talks of recession and downturn, hearing talks of food shortages, hearing talks of those things. And, and for those who have not prepared and those who were already living paycheck to paycheck and those who we stayed for two years getting extra money and they were giving you money for your kids and all sorts of stuff, and those people, they didn't save that money. They took it and they spent it on their on things and they bought extra things and now that, that a, a hamburger costs $75 and you can't and for a pound of beef I'm exaggerating I'm being hyperbolic but I'm not that far off then it becomes a problem And we see these things. Let's keep bringing it back. Keep it, keep it in perspective. I'm making it real. But we always want to stay true to the text. This is about God's hand of protection over his people. And he protected his people by making sure that when the famine came, they were what? Ready. I'm telling you, in America, famine is coming. That's not a prophetic word. That's just you can look at economic indicators. Be good stewards. Don't cease to be generous because that's a part of being a good steward. But make sure you have your financial house, what? In order. If you're in debt, get out of debt and stay out of debt. As far as close as you can get. So you can be able to live when the downturn happens. Verse 13 and 14. Question. Is this helping anybody? Amen. Amen. If this is helping you, raise your hand. Genesis can be deep. Verse, four, uh, verse 13 and 14. It says the Bible tells us that wealth came to Egypt. The government gained wealth. Why? Well, how did Egypt get wealthy? They got wealthy because the people were not what? Prepared. So they, the question four says, the Bible tells us that wealth came to Egypt because they were able to, well, number one, get wise economic counsel from somebody close to God. Joseph was close to God. He, God showed him what was going to do, just like the sons of Issachar, who were those people who knew what Israel ought to do during a certain time. You need to keep your ear to the ground because God knows things that, that, that strategists don't know. We can try to predict the bull market or we can try to predict the bear market. We can try to look at all those things, but God knows which way is going, the wind's going to blow because he's the one blowing the wind. Oh, Jesus. So prayer time should be the most filled up time in the church. There should be more people at prayer than there are Sundays. Why? Because when you connect it with God and you communicate with God, not only are you communicating with God, but God is communicating with you. How do you know that? Let's take this. Jesus, I owe taxes. You do, Peter? Yeah. And they say you owe taxes too. Well, how are we going to do this? We're going to build a Ponzi scheme. We're going to build a pyramid scheme. We're going to go get a business. We're going to go do grub. Huh? No, Peter, we're not going to do that. What are we going to do? You're going fishing. You're a fisherman. That's how we make our money. Well, that's a good idea, Jesus. I, I just go fishing and I try to sell up fish. No, I don't need you to do all that, Peter. I just need you to go one time, pick up the first fish you see, open up his mouth, and pay our taxes. I can use what you used to. And I can put supernatural favor on it. And bless your life. God can do in two days what it will take somebody 30 years to do. 
But oftentimes, we are climbing corporate ladders and different ladders just to realize we were, on, we were headed toward the wrong roof. Because we have not been attentive to the voice of God and allowed God to lead us in what we did. We chose our life paths and our career paths for the money and not for the purpose that God put on our life. If you find the purpose God put in your life, that's where your wealthy place is. Am I saying that that's where your rich place is? No. Wealth comes from happiness and wholeness, that you're happy about what you're doing. You might not have a dime in your pocket, but God will provide for you. If a million, Guess what? If somebody has a million dollars, they can't eat but one meal a day. Three meals a day. There's only so much money that you can spend in a day. So if God's providing your, your, your needs every day, you're wealthy. You have everything you what? need. Number one, not only were they a, able to get wise economic counsel from someone close to God, but what does B say they were able to do? Act prudently on the information they had. It does no good to know what to do and then not do it. I sit from, uh, across from people all the time and I tell them, I can give you keys to, so you can be financially happy. I can make a budget for you on a sheet of paper. But the budget is not the problem. The problem is, if I show you what to do and you don't do it, it's not going to help you. The Bible said that he that knoweth to, what's right to do and does not do it to him, it is what? Sin. So if I'm sitting here tonight, you are now hereby accountable. When I say God wants you to live on, on a budget and God wants you to steward your resources and be generous and live on less than what you make, if you know what's right to do it and you come back next year and say, Pass on boat, I say, You've been sinning all year long. Because you know what's right to do, but you don't what? If you can't say amen, say Amen. This isn't to beat you up. This is to lift you up. Because God wants us in positions where we can be blessings to other people. Once again, disclaimer, not all of you are going to be rich. But you don't have to struggle either. Amen. She says that they can reap the benefits of revelation and preparation. They got a revelation from God that a famine was coming. And then when they got that revelation from God, they begin to prepare for it so that when the famine hit, they were prepared. God didn't stop the famine. He just taught them how to handle it. Do you not know, even in this economic downturn, there are people that haven't skipped a beat. They don't even know what the price of gas is. They go to the grocery store. They're not worried about how much the food costs. Not because they're rich. Do you not know that the average person who's a millionaire doesn't look like a millionaire? That, do you know what the average millionaire drives? A Honda or a Toyota. They don't drive a Beamer or a BMW. The average, there's a book called The Millionaire Next Door. How is this relevant to us? Because the Bible should be practical for practical living. The average millionaire does not look like a millionaire. And most people who look like millionaires are not. Because they know how to properly steward the resources that God gave them. I can show you a broke person a mile off. You know why? Because I handle money. And they look like they got money. And I know they broke. But I can see somebody in some jeans and, and dirty work boots and F-150 and, and watch a few things about them. And I can say, oh, they got plenty of money. <laughs> they might not act like it. But they do. It's important for us to steward our resources in a way. Somebody said, I didn't come for a financial lesson. Well, guess what? Where your treasure is, that's where your what? Heart will be. 
if we don't have, if our money ain't right, that means our heart ain't right. Ooh. Wow. There's something going on because how we spend our time and our resources has a lot to do with what's on the inside of us. Some people are serial spenders. Why? They're not happy with life and they try to anesthetize themselves or use Amazon for anesthesia. Every day not happy with life and every day you turn around and they know the Amazon people by name. Hey, Victor, how you doing? Good to see you again. <laughs> Is this helpful to anybody? Amen. Let's go to verse 15 to 26 because I'm running out of time. I'm not going to read it all for sake of time. But this is where he's, he's, they're, they're still selling things. And they, Joseph has made a system. And the, the scripture said it was used to this day. He says, I'll let you work and you, we just get 20% of everything you, you get because you didn't save. And this is going to save you. And they were happy for that. And, and that, there's nothing wrong with, with working an honest day's wage for an honest day's pay. I don't care what you do. If you're picking up paper, whatever you're doing, just live off of less than what you make. Be a hard worker. Give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And, 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 and be an honest person with it. That's, that's it. But verse number five says this. As famine caused an economic collapse and the decimation of currency, there was a large transfer of wealth into the hands of Pharaoh. But here's the thing that you don't see. I spent all that time to tell you this, that God is still working this out for favor. You know why he's working this out for favor? Go ahead and pull up Exodus chapter 12, verses 36. Although they haven't endured this famine for a while, it's making, it's making Egypt rich. And it seems like the man is getting richer. But if you could pull up Genesis 12 and 36, I want you to see something. It's going to take 400 years. But watch what happens. Let's read that together. Genesis chapter 12, Exodus, rather, Exodus 12 and 36. What does it say? And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked, that they plundered the Egyptians. One translation says, they took all the wealth of Egypt. This is a 400 year plan God is working out. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in Goshen. You're going to go under 400 years of oppression. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make use this famine to make Egypt wealthy. And it's going to look like Egypt's getting ahead. But when I finish behind the scenes, the wealth of Egypt will belong to the slaves. Isn't there a scripture, Sister Bernice, that says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the... Wow. Don't be upset in times of economic downturn. God can use those things behind the scene. If you are prayerful and attentive to what he's telling you, you are good stewards behind your finance and you position yourself properly. You may not all see it in your days, but it may affect your generations to what? Come. I don't know about you, but this is blessing me. And as we get ready to close, we see that uh, at the end of this chapter, we see that uh, Jacob is simply asking to be buried in the land of his fathers. He's believing on the promise to the day he dies. He knows that the land of Canaan has been promised to his fathers. And so he says, bury me there. Don't bury me here. This is not my home. Oh, that's a whole sermon right there. I didn't come to stay at this earth. This is not my home. God has given me a promised land. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
I'm not, that's it. I'm not living for this life. I'm living this life, as John P. Key would say. I'm living this life just to live again. For lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Be a good steward. That's good. Manage your money. Live off the less you make. If you become a millionaire, that'll be fine. Drunk driver hit the sign. The insurance company doesn't want to pay what they're supposed to pay to fix the sign. We'll talk about that with them later. But wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody said, who cares if they pay or not? Pastor, I'm rich. Go get that sign. The children need something. I got a ton more money than I ever need. Pastor, go get that stuff. Jalis has a church she's planted in Africa that she calls Encounter. Uh, so we, we got a branch in Tanzania, y'all. We got a branch of Encounter Church in Tanzania. They need resources. Pastor, I just want to be a blessing to them. God wants you to get your financial house in order. He wants you to be protected in times of economic downturn because they will happen. He wants you strategically placed so that you can be blessings to other people. Does that mean because I have money that God is with me? Absolutely not. Plenty of people will gain the world and lose their soul. My message is clear. Love God. Don't make a God out of money. But be a good steward so God can use you and your money to bless other people. He wants you financially free. He wants you to be a blessing to others. You know why? Because there's some people in this room who are going paycheck to check, paycheck. And they're doing the best they can. But there are also people in this room who never even look at what they spend. Because they're that well off. You can buy bread and you don't think about the bread. God may be wanting you to find somebody else who can't afford bread and say, I can afford my bread and your bread, and it won't hurt me. And I see you working hard, and I see you trying. Now, don't just give it to people who ain't trying. Make them try. Don't, just, don't, give, don't be a welfare state. That's not what I'm telling you to do. This is not in the Bible, but I like it. Sometimes God helps those who what? Help themselves. If they trying and they being a good steward, be a blessing. Be a covering. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be the lender than the borrower. I'd rather be like that. Anybody else rather be the lender than the borrower? Absolutely. I deal with money and finance. I'm limited as to what I tell people about that, but I, I well, you work, none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> But this is what I do day in and day out. If you're having financial troubles and you need a budget or something, pastor, help me out. Hook me out. I'll do it for you. Now, you got to do the work. I can't, I'm not going to spend your money for you. But if I do it for you and you still don't have no money, my father used to sing this song a long, long time ago. He said, you ain't, and I'm, it, it, excuse the improper grammar, but this is just how the song goes. He says, you ain't got but one life to live. Take your time. If I fail to live... And my soul be lost. Nobody's fault but mine. You ain't got but one life to live. Mm -hmm. Take your time. If you fail to manage your budget and you end up broke, yeah. it's nobody's fault but. 
Lathe ain't never broke. He said, that's my fault. Lathe, I ain't never seen Lathe without a whole bunch of money in his pocket. <laughs> Lathe is good. Uh, we were going out to eat one day. Lathe said, I can't go. I said, why? He said, they may not be able to take this. And he pulled out a wire full of hundreds out of his pocket. I was like, that make change. Lathe, you got money. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Lathe is good. I just got you robbed. Lathe, run after we finish this. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but that's good. I hope that something has been said today that is practical. It's amazing what you find in the scriptures, isn't it, Brother Dave? If you study and don't just read and, and apply it to real life. Has this been helpful to anybody? Any questions, any comments as we get ready to go? Go ahead. I just think it's amazing how Joseph was able to manage all this. He was able to manage it. He took uh-huh of all the grain uh-huh and he sells it back to them yeah and then he's <laughs> basically they give up everything uh, to get <laughs> the grain that they produce themselves yeah that's that's it and he did that for a favor wow brother dave i want to leave you you just bought up something else but that's true he made them work give up one fifth of everything they own and then turn around and sold it back to them because they never saved anything for themselves at 20 percent that's called the low interest credit card that's what that's called <laughs> stay away from credit cards <laughs> let's go i pray this has blessed somebody's life and this is helping somebody i want this to be practical uh, i'm really and, and, and i'm gonna give all the gusto because i'm gonna be down for a little while on wednesdays uh, and the people that hear that i want them if you're watching online do not skip out on us some people online have got the got the bibles these pa these pastors and teachers are studying really hard and as our groups grow back up uh and, and things like that we want to make sure that we're here to participate with them be studying those books and soon i'm going to outside of that give a 90-day bible challenge a 90-day a way to read the old testament within 90 days the new testament rather within 90 days uh i've got somebody that's going to get me that information and i'm going to be doing it and I want you to go along with me on that. Uh, I'm also doing at least once a week um, just prayer. I'm praying online on, under the Willie Berry Ministry site. Why am I doing that? Because I feel like prayer is underserved, that people aren't really paying attention to it like they need to. So if you see it, like it, share it, and come on and pray with us. Uh, that's important. Uh, I'm going to pray, being respectful of your time. That's all my time. The clock says so. And so we will see you again on Sunday. We're going to pray and bless you guys. God, I thank you for this Bible study, and I pray that it's helping us to live a life that we've been true to the text, um, um, and God, and that we have exegeted it properly and made it um, um, applicable to our lives today, God. Uh, work through those things and let those people that are listening to this hear what they need to hear, Holy Spirit, in their heart to make changes in their life, uh, that these principles will pass to us, that we can be prosperous, not just in finance, but in health and wellness in our spiritual life. Um, God, to be a blessing to other people. We thank you for that, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. And I declare today, by um, the blessing of the word of God, that you are blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come and when you go, and that every place that the sole of your foot shall try shall be blessed in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise.